Hi, this is Tony Silva, and not Charles Wiz, <laughs> and this is episode 120 of Two Teachers Talking, where usually Charles and I get together and talk about teaching English in Japan. However, today we have, a, so to speak, a, a substitute teacher, <laughs> and we got a replacement for Charles, just a one-time-only shot, and uh, we're again with uh, Professor Allison Kitzman of uh, Kinky University, Kindai University, whatever it's called these days, uh, to talk with us um the topic of needs analysis. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Or afternoon. It's still morning <laughs> over here. And probably over where you are too, huh? <laughs> yep. Very so, close. Yeah, very close. So, um, needs analysis. But before we get to that, um, for the people who haven't heard you before, who don't know who you are, maybe give us a short bio. And, you know, you're here teaching in Japan. Like, where the hell did you come from? And what do you do? And uh-huh. why are we listening to you? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure why you're listening to me. You're not, actually. You're listening to Tony and Charles. But um, as you can tell by my accent, I am American, but I've been in Japan now for more than 20 years, teaching at Kindai University, as you mentioned, uh, generally business English. But uh, my research has been interested in things about students, uh, student-centered learning. And that, of course, then goes to needs analyses, uh, and, of course, motivation theory, things to get them interested in the things that I want to teach them, for example, in my business English classes, that they may not feel a need, let alone have any care or desire to learn at this point. So that's where the fun comes in for me, trying to get them to (laughs) become interested (laughs) in some way. Okay. So... um I guess getting right into it, um, needs analysis, thinking about it, talking about it, this is something that's always kind of baffled me because um, even before any professional um, training um, for teaching, um, this has always seemed to me something like a given. Um, it's a, wow. it's a, yeah, it's a common sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> to me, yeah, right. I'm exactly. You're right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, this is what, this is why I'm baffled, right? Because common sense, which is not common as we know. Um, it mm. seems like a given. It's a, it's a, it's an obvious first step. Um, but uh, some people, it seems like it's an afterthought or even a never thought. Well, I would ask you in your own learning as a child or a young adult, or even in your college days, did any professor or teacher ever ask you what you wanted to learn? I highly doubt it. Well, I don't think that's the right question. Is do what do you want? I, I don't think that's a. a Maybe the best way for needs analysis, but um, I would guess that, yeah, most of the teachers that I respected did their own form of needs analysis and never maybe came in the form of a direct question, though it might have. Um, But they're more like maybe indirect kind of questions or et cetera, et cetera, or like an initial evaluation um, probing task that we were asked to do. Sure. Mm. And we can save that for discussion after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, no one asked me what I you know, wanted to learn because I, I think, again, I think that's like maybe the wrong question because especially for my students, our students, um, that especially I teach mostly first year students, that kind of question just totally overwhelming. They don't have the background. They don't have the knowledge of the options of what's possible or what might they don't understand what that question means because for them their education has always been top down lecture um translation type things and grammar translation and they really just like what, what the question would confound them they don't even they wouldn't understand the question and I don't disagree in the least. Mm. Um, and that is part of the discussion mm. of trying to get students to understand what they actually need and the balance between what the teacher as the expert knows versus what the student as they feel they might be the expert <laughs> would want. Yeah. So but, other te- you know, every, a teacher maybe, and every teacher I would hope, has their own kind of idea what needs analysis means, what it is. But maybe we need to kind of maybe get some ground rules about 
What when you when you talk about needs analysis, what are you talking about? Okay, uh, actually, going back even before needs analysis, the the basic question that any of us teachers and yes, I think a lot of us do attempt to do some form of needs analyses. Um, however, the biggest question is how do we motivate our students, um, and how do we motivate them without their knowing what they need and being able to communicate. And then even more base, what is motivation? So just to give you a little background, uh, motivational theory, and it started in the 30s, mostly with like B.F. Skinner uh, thinking about incentive theory, which was a tangible reward for either positive or negative reinforcement. I mean, we all kind of, if we went to college, we had psychology classes or psych ed classes, we learned these things. Probably the biggest name in motivational theory that we've also heard of is Abram Maslow. And he was talking about human potential. This was in the 1940s. And he posited that motivation is not mechanical. People actually want to do their best. They want to succeed. Um, and they want to become capable. Uh, so they understand that something is wrong, air quotes, if they're not succeeding. Of course, he's kind of the strong uh, theory of motivational theory. Several theories got spun off of that. Uh, in the 50s, we had uh, drive reduction theory uh, from Hall and Spence, uh, stating biological drives made us satisfied, um, a la Freud. Uh, 1950s also, cognitive dissonance theory, uh, Festinger uh, in the 19, or sorry, not 19, wow, at the turn of the century, 2001, the three needs theory with McClellan. There are tons of these different theories. Um, basically, for teachers, we often think about extrinsic theory coming from outside. And this would be us teachers <laughs> giving grades, maybe parents reading the report cards, uh, our own shame at receiving a poor grade. Uh, but that's, again, coming from the outside versus the intrinsic, which is emanating from an individual. That's I want to take an English class because I'm interested in English, because it's fun, because I get a financial reward in my career in the future, something like that. Again, thinking of, go ahead. So in going back to Skinner, if we kind of interpret the idea of, these, I mean, all these different ideas, they're not at, really at odds yeah. with each other. Because if you consider, you know, just in discussion of reward, it's like, yeah. it's not a gummy bear and it's not a cookie. But it could be something just could like, be. A, it, could, it could be, it could be, but I'm not bringing, I'm not bringing cookies to class every week to I do. You know, like dog biscuits or things, but, <laughs> but a, a reward could be something like a successful completion of a task or a yeah. removal of some uh, discomforts, like answer a question, you get to sit down. Yeah. Oh, I love that <laughs> one. <laughs> exactly. And again, there are so many different theories, um, yeah, and they build on each other. Uh, one of the things, again, going back to Maslow, we think of his, in, in the strong theory, we think of his hierarchy, um, which actually, again, has been argued, is it a hierarchy or not? Um, but basically, all of us need food and shelter. We need the physiological things before we can even begin to think about other things that we need in life. Uh, next we need safety and that could be job safety. It could be our health. It could be personal property. And if we don't have safety and physiological things, we're, we're never going to go up this hierarchical need. And those are just so basic that those pretty much don't enter into the classroom. If our students are in there, they've got those things. Um, Maslow's third level is talking about belonging and love. This is friendships. This is family. Um, this is now where we're entering the classroom realm of need. And none of the emotional motivational theories uh, argue against this. They just add to this. 
um, whether or not that belonging and love, whether our students have friends in the classroom, whether there is rapport with the teacher, those kinds of things. And if we don't have that, then we can't graduate to the next level, the next level being esteem. That self-esteem, that's self-respect, that's respect for others. And again, we can kind of argue that if we don't have rapport with the teacher, then we're not going to be able to have self-esteem in our class. We're not going to feel achievement. We're not going to respect the teacher, maybe ourselves, maybe the other people in the class. Mm -hmm. The highest level of Maslow is the self-actualization. And that's actually where we kind of graduate into our own creativity, using our own ideas, our thoughts. And again, you can kind of see that there is something to a hierarchy, possibly, possibly, again, arguably, that if we don't have respect in the classroom, we don't have friends, we may not be motivated to achieve. If we don't achieve, then we're certainly not going to then be able to go out on our own beyond the classroom, beyond the textbook, into the future, and uh, become creative with our own language learning, etc. So all of these needs are dependent on one another. They're, they all build uh, per se, in the strong theory. Uh, and Maslow said that you can't achieve self-actualization if you don't have the other ones uh, met, uh, meeting those needs, the satisfying those needs. Um, and Maslow also says that there's a certain amount of correla correlation to age. So, of course, when we're babies, you know, the, the physiological mom and dad take care of us and we get older and we, you know, rely more on our friends and our families and we get older and older, self-respect, and we can't reach self-actualization until we're adults, whatever that means. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the theories also say it's a never-ending process of psychological development. And again, that's all motivation throughout our lives. Um, those are kind of the basis of motivational theory hmm, yeah, so, in the strong theory. <laughs> yeah, just to, just, throw, just like a, a little bit here, not really devil's advocate, but just like a voice of like some, some of the listeners and things saying, well, you know, my classes, you know, you're talking about needs analysis and things, and, and some of the classes that you've taught and that, that I have taught as well, um, mm. this whole notion of self-actualization is a pipe dream. Um, <laughs> you're never going to get there with these guys, and that's just like, right. it's like you're, you're lucky to get beyond corporal punishment in terms of the safety level, because yep. uh, some of these classes. So anyway, that's the theory, and and that's okay. absolutely true. Mm. And I'm not even at the needs analysis. Point. Right, right, right. This is this is still just motivational theory. Right. So just yeah, just like letting get, getting people from like when it's like, oh, I can't. You know, these aren't my kids. But anyway, yeah, we're just talking right. about the theory underneath. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Okay. Good. 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 Absolutely. So again, and this is certainly arguable, and I hope you and Charles, you know, do argue it. Uh, that is the motivational theory. But what I find quite fascinating is going beyond just the motivational theory and kind of addressing what you were just saying because there's more to the story. How are any of these needs satisfied? And who are they satisfied by? Are they satisfied by ourselves? Again, the are they satisfied extrinsically or intrinsically? This is just so it's it's very hard to separate any of these things. And who I found quite fascinating uh, regarding this is actually a gentleman named Max Neef. And he is, of all things, an economist. And he and his team were working in South America, working on uh, development projects. And he was aware of Maslow and some of these other motivational theories. But his, theory, his group set up a whole set of need satisfiers. Now, these are completely different. And before we can even talk about needs analyses, <laughs> I want to touch on these need satisfiers. So 
Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, sounds great. All right. It's interesting. Okay. So starting with, again, in, in this classroom, if you've got students and you think that they're just idiots, they will never be able to self-actualize, well, you might be right. But again, why? And Max Neef posited that there are five different satisfiers. And the first, well, there's no order per se, but the first I'll say are destroyers. These are things that fail to satisfy. And hey, if I don't like you, student, I'm guessing that student probably doesn't like me either. Um, so a destroyer is, for example, not liking the teacher, not liking the topic. How many of our students are interested in English for life? They're not. It's a subject. So that will never, learning English will never satisfy any need. In fact, it just destroys all motivation before it becomes a need. The next uh, satisfier that he talks about are pseudo-satisfiers. They kind of give a false sense of satisfaction. They're, they seem like they motivate, but not really. So in our classrooms, for example, I finished the dialogue in my textbook, but I still can't speak in English. I mean, how many of our classes, that's what it's like. I mean, I teach a lot of freshmen too, just like you. Yeah, they're great in the textbook, but once they get their head up, no. So those are pseudo-satisfiers. They might get an A in class, but they still can't speak English, and they're perfectly cognitive of that. Another need satisfier from Max Neef are the inhibiting satisfiers. So these inhibit motivation. They satisfy one need, but they inhibit satisfaction of another kind of need. So again, in our classes, maybe I know that I can speak English. I'm better than my teacher thinks I am, but I don't want to talk about this topic. I don't like this topic. In my classes, business English? Pfft. What's business English? How boring is that? Even though I have some very good students. Um, they also might be inhibited, especially in Japan. I'm shy. They all say that they're shy. They don't want to make a mistake. And, and that inhibits their motivation, that, 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 that intrinsically they don't move on because of, or potentially they don't move on because of these inhibiting factors. Uh, continuing, uh, a further need satisfier that Max Neef posits is a single category. Um, now, this is not to be confused with the inhibiting, which might satisfy one need, but inhibits others. A single category only satisfies a single need, period. So I learned to speak about something useful, but maybe I have no opportunity to ever in my life give directions to a stranger on the street because we all have cell phones. Um, I learned English. I can do it. But something else is missing. And again, we might not have completely engaged students, but I would argue most of them aren't too stupid. They, they get this. <laughs> what Max Neef really wanted what, what he felt was the best need satisfier was called a synergistic need. Those that simultaneously satisfy multiple needs. For example, I learned to speak about something I wanted and something I will use in my future that relates to me. All of those things are good. That's intrinsic, uh, potentially extrinsic. It might have been pushed on by the teacher. This might have been something chosen by the teacher, but again, it's something I like, I need, I will use. And those then actually motivate the students. So my thing, before we can even talk about needs analyses, we have to make sure that we are taking an synergistic approach. Is that possible? I don't really like the word synergy 
used in other <laughs> ways in the language. Yeah, it's but, a bit of a buzzword, but we kind of know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it yeah. applies here, so we, we'll, we'll use it. So when we're doing our needs analyses, and this is where I kind of balked when when saying that the students – anyway, we'll, we'll discuss that in a second. <laughs> but that, that getting that synergistic, making sure that the students are taught or allowed, I guess, would be another way, to be autonomous, that the learning is personalized, that it's, it's made clear that they will use this information in the future. Um, it's something that is useful to them. Uh, synergistic, that's really the optimal form of need satisfier for any motivation garnering that we do in the classroom. And if we're making our own lesson plans and we've chosen our textbook, we're kind of inflicting our ideas potentially onto the students. Or, or our institutions. Or, <laughs> so, that's another so point. So <laughs> boy, if you, if you can teach us how to do this in the next 45 minutes, this will be an hour well spent. <laughs> well, I can't do that, but the idea of of um, That sounds awareness. pretty good to me. <laughs> well, I would be earning a lot more money and not have this job if I could do that. Uh, but again, be being aware, becoming aware in our classrooms. And even again, before the needs analyses, making sure that we're not destroying the student's motivation, whether it's you know, affective barriers, uh, we're not giving feedback, we're not involving them in their needs analyses. Right, right. And this is what I was balking before. Yeah, and, like, when, yes. and you mentioned motivation. One of the notes that I made to myself here is, as well, it's really hard to to create motivation. You can't spin it out of, out of yes. thin air. But you can, with care, avoid demotivating them even further. <laughs> yeah, and I would say it's probably easier to demotivate oh. <laughs> than it is to motivate. Yeah, and that's watch why me. <laughs> Hold my beer. Has, has five of these, four of which are pretty negative. <laughs> They're all demotivators. Mm. So again, in your own classroom, whether or not you actually do a needs analysis, making sure that you're not destroying, that those pseudo satisfiers, you know, like there's not too much group work. Mm. In Japan, in Asia, group work we really like. A little bit more pair work in Europe, individual work in Europe uh, and the United States. But group work is good. But too much, you're not allowing students to actually maybe do it themselves. So that can be a pseudo-satisfier. Um, too many games. Students might have fun. You might be a very popular teacher at the end of the semester in your final evaluations, but they know they haven't learned much. So making sure that they, that the, whatever game you are playing, they are aware how it transfers to life or to real English. Trying also not to inhibit students, which, you know, we think, oh, well, grades, very, yes, mm, motivating, uh, extrinsically, but if there's too much grading, might be too much. Um, maybe giving too many op opinions of your own as a teacher, not allowing the students. Certainly, and um, <laughs> it doesn't happen too often, but we know when it does, actual confrontations during classes, um, either the teacher confronting or even confrontations during discussions among students with different ideas. We might think that we're really, yes, everybody share your ideas. But in Japan, we all want the same idea. This might be inhibiting here. That's a good point. Single category, again, whether or not the teacher, if it's teacher-centered, if it's too much rote memorization. Again, all of these things we just might do in our classrooms without even getting to the needs analysis part. Mm. Yeah, like I said, right? Yeah, at the beginning. <clears throat> so, <laughs> I want to I want to just stop for just a second and, and uh, just sure. put in a, a a vote here for the pseudo satisfiers. Um, you don't want that to make that like the goal of your class, but as um, 
Charles and I discussed recently, we were talking about expectations. And a couple of years ago, we talked about how important it was to have high expectation, raising the bar, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And um, more recently, we talked about like um, what happens when you screw up <laughs> and you set that bar too high. And um, one of the th- points that I think that came out pretty strongly in that discussion was the importance of uh, at the beginning having, having uh, built in chance for success for the students. So even though it may not, in fact, uh, bring them any closer to proficiency per se, um, having something like a pseudo-satisfier early on in the semester so that the mm. first thing they're able to do is say, okay, yata, I, 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 could, I, I did this. Um, even yes. though it's not, it doesn't have any true meaning, it, it helps not to demotivate them because if, if they, you give them something that they fail at, it's like, what have they learned? They've learned that they, you know, I can't do this. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's not what, that's not what we were what we were aiming for here. So, um, to build in some chances of success, especially at the very beginning, um, uh, the, the 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 name pseudo satisfier might like you know devalue those things, but they have their use. Hmm. They have their use. Ab- absolutely, and and to continue with that, much like again, Maslow talks about his hierarchy of needs being. Uh, over the stages of life and you develop throughout your lifetime, I think any of those satisfiers could be developed throughout the classroom time, whatever that time might be, whether you have one semester of 15 classes or, you know, one year, or if you're lucky, then more. Yeah. Of course, you want to start easy. And and the other and, one of the other things, just to jump in right there with that, with, with going back to Maslow a little bit, one of the factors that we've got here is um, not necessarily obvious when you when you first get here, but the maturity level of our students is not oh, not exactly what you'd expect from eighteen yeah. and nineteen year olds. <clears throat> yeah. So you're. you're and I was making the joke joke about corporal punishment, but. For a lot of them, they're <laughs> and in terms of development, they're kind of at that level. Yeah, and that's that's where then going into that the the discussion aspect of this. So before we can even do needs analyses, thinking about what and where the students are psychologically in their development. Uh, yes, Japan is highly different than anywhere else I've ever been. Right, you basically say, okay, um, what, what kind of things you want to do? Video. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And and because it's fun and they want to do video, but in the end they also know they're not really learning. And that then addresses the fact that here in Japan, English is a subject. It's mm-hmm. not seen mm-hmm. as something that's ever going to really be useful. Yeah, that's something else you got to teach, them. right? <laughs> Surprisingly. Yeah. Exactly. So when you're creating your needs analysis, it's so important to get the students involved. And we, one of the things, well, several of the things that I run into here with the Japanese teachers is often they have been very successful in their English learning. Maybe their students aren't as successful. Hey, they, if I could do it, they can do it. Right. And and like even because I like English, mm. our students may not. Um, not everybody likes to study. Yeah, if they can't do it, it means they're lazy. Exactly. Mm. And so having that attitude and being aware of that as educators is, again, part of that before we can even go any further. Students don't learn the same way that we do. Students don't learn the same way that they that each other do. Um, They will all have come in to our first year classes, Tony, you and I, and they've all had different backgrounds with different teachers and different styles. And so to, again, inflict our methods on them without somehow um, giving and getting feedback to and from them, mm, we're not going to be very successful. And if we think about our teaching style, and we apply that to Maslow, going back to Maslow, if we're just teaching the students as we feel fit, well, that's very basic. That's kind of a mother knows best approach. And that might be good for children in elementary school. You know, yes, they have to know their ABCs. So let's learn the ABC song. But already our students have 
graduated. <laughs> They're no longer at that psychological development level. They're already probably their prime motivation is friends, family, their their own self-esteem growing up. They're young adults. Well, certainly, certainly the, the societal structure for university students is going to emphasize the social aspect on that. Yeah, and that's anywhere, well, almost anywhere in the world. Well, yeah, it's different. Still, but here it's here. More so here. More so here. Yeah, this is more so yeah. here. That is true. But again, like especially for us, um, that those young adults, less mature, trying to figure out where they are, they're not ready for that self actualization stage. They're not confident. They haven't gained that self esteem. So here in Japan, that. Uh, creativity, morality, self-actualization, highest of the hierarchy levels, Mm. um, that's kind of reserved for actual adults. So if we teachers come into the classroom, we don't want to be inflicting mother knows best, but yet we're not, the students aren't good enough. Excuse me, students. I love you, (laughs) but excuse me. They're not really good enough. They don't know what their needs are. Yeah, and, and sometimes goes, teacher knows best. Exactly yeah. back what you were saying. Yes. So, but again, making it a balancing act. Um, one of the ways of teaching, you might say, a facilitator or a coach and getting them, so working with them at that friendship, those developing friendship levels, um, supporting their family, learning about their family, developing that self-esteem, getting them to understand their achievements and respecting them as teachers, respecting our students and teaching them to respect each other. That's kind of the level of Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of right. needs. Again, just just using the strong theory, <laughs> uh, caveat, caveat, um, just using that strong theory before they can even go out and create their own English. So it's really a balancing act, a balancing act of so many things. So of, we've already had the extrinsic versus intrinsic. We need to create more intrinsic motivation. But as teachers or institutions, as teachers, we may not have a choice, but as people who are in the institution and creating these coordinated programs, please listen. Balancing the target needs of the individual, what what they feel they want to do in the future with their actual learning needs, what, what they actually need. <laughs> so again, target needs versus learning needs. The student might feel that, yes, I am in the business department, my students. Maybe I will have to speak business English in the future. But mm, I don't know what that means. So getting them to understand that, and me as the teacher, what what do they need to be competent in the language? Objective needs versus subjective needs. So Objective needs are identifiable. You have the TOEIC test in Japan. Uh. (laughs) But then those subjective needs, TOEIC is not English. That's not communication. It's not not really going to help our students beyond getting a job at a better company. So objective, subjective, things that are easy to quantify things that are less easy to quantify. And motivation is certainly one of those that's less easy to quantify. If you're not motivated, that's it. That's end of story. And then going back to what you started with, that learner-centered versus, and those are the needs, and they could be the wants. But also what does the institution That means us, whether it's the university, whether it's the coordinated program, the teacher, the expert. Wait, I take take exception identification with the institution, but go ahead. Um, No, I'm just lumping us all together. I know. know. To to, uh, distinguish us from from the the dichotomy of learner-centered versus Mm – I don't want to just say teacher-centered because, yeah, we don't always have a 
choice of what we're teaching in the classroom. Right. Even exactly. if that, we think kind of, that, we that have was a kind choice. Of my point. And just like for me, absolutely. Like my, I identify much more closely with my students than I do with the institutions for which I work. I sure. never said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm not even saying that. Right. I, I, and again, so much of this is what we are unaware of ourselves as teachers. I may feel that I have free choice when I choose a textbook, one out of 10 textbooks, but then I'm still limited to what that textbook writer feels was what was appropriate. I'm still not really considering necessarily my students as individuals. I'm still seeing them as a class, probably, as a group, probably. I'm still probably painting them all with the same brush. And you and Charles have discussed this before on other episodes. Uh, and that's just kind of what we have to do as teachers. But again, trying to become aware and at least question our own teaching, our own choices, getting beyond that. And by doing those things, by gaining that awareness, then thinking of needs analysis. Do you get me? Gotcha. so again that's why i think of motivation theory and satisfier theories um even before that needs analysis but the needs analysis itself you know identifying the goals and that's where that balancing act comes into play whether or not it's the student's goals it's the institutional goals it's gaps in their competencies uh, it's preparing them for the test, whatever that might be. <laughs> Consider what that might be. So the process of needs analysis, you identify the, the goals, you somehow develop those, you, you, you want to, to, to identify them and create some kind of customized learning or whatever it is, evaluation of that learning, and you will then implement that uh, lesson plan or personalized learning, hopefully, and then you evaluate it. And then you figure out where the performance gaps were and were you successful as a teacher in teaching those? Were the students successful in learning those? And then you go back and start again. You identify what, what still needs to get taught hopefully. <laughs> and it's, it's a big cycle. Um, but again, thinking about how to do that, where the student mm, is, huh, not the student necessarily, but the learning is personalized to the greatest degree possible. Yeah, absolutely. And so often that's a key element that's missed in in a lot of curriculum planning and syllabus planning, um, all of that is you know tabula rasa, working blind, and you might have you know, you know a brilliant plan, but then you're you know this plan is given to you and you you walk in your classroom it's like well this isn't going to fly, this this, hmm. this has to be totally that done. Too. Um, that's right. Yeah, because there's been no needs analysis done, and the, the, the people who've written the curriculum and the syllabus yeah. have never met that, met that class. And the other—they've never taught. They haven't taught for twenty years. Yeah, some sometimes, of them. I mean, yeah. it's, these types of classes for yeah, at least right. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of of levels, and that's why it it does fall on the teacher's shoulders. And one of the things that you said that that, that resonates that I, that I want to like underscore, because. Um, a lot of times, myself included, think about needs analysis. Oh, you can meet the kids. Okay, make your decision, your judgment. You use whatever tools you use. It's okay. This is where they are in terms of ability. Um, this is what this institution wants them to do. This is what they want to do. Um, this is what I know how to teach. Um, and you, and you, you put it all into a big bowl and you mix it up and then you go with it. Yeah. But that's not it. It's a process. It is. It, it needs analysis is a process. You do it once yes. at the beginning of the year, and then you it's refine it every damn week. You've got to like reassess yes. and look every and class. see what's going on and yes. what's working and what's not. Yes. And you change what you got to change on the fly. Yep. And that's really the best needs analysis. But it's very difficult if we again aren't aware. Um, 
so uh, you can do a survey, like you said, at the beginning of the semester, and that might give you some ideas, uh, especially in my business English classes. What do they intend to do in their life? I've had years here in Japan where 70% of the girls want to be housewives. Um, they have zero interest in business. And you can't make, and to the so, point, my, my point is that you can't make that assumption because I've been in one of those classes where I assume yeah. 78% of them wanted to be housewives. And like in the next week, they're saying, well, they, they made it very clear one way, their own way. <laughs> they wanted more. No, they, they, they yeah. wanted more. They, they really wanted yes. to learn English. I go, right. Huh. And so huh. it, it can't, <laughs> right, exactly. It can't stop with just a story exactly. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. because you don't know them yet. Right. Listening to their discussions, if you have that kind of classroom. Uh, journal entries, if it's a writing class. Um, even in my business writing, I do 10-minute free writing uh, on occasion. And reading those and seeing uh, what they're saying. Um, a formal diagnostic might be useful for the institution. You might have those uh you might have the resources and the facilities. Yeah, this the, means a level four textbook, that's not a level some, three textbook. Yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. Right. But we've, <laughs> we've really just got to be paying attention in the class. Mm. But that is a problem, that there are too often the administrators, the institution, they have no idea what our students need or, or let alone what they want. So it it comes to the teacher and the learner needing needing together to work together um, on a, you say weekly, that means just to clarify again, we have once a week classes in Japan, but on a class, on a class, <laughs> a daily class, <laughs> each class, uh, coming together and, and again, getting the students to be aware as much of us as teachers paying attention to our own awareness. Well, that's a whole other thing that you got to teach the students too, right? Cause they really yes. don't get, so they, especially, especially here. here. So you really, they especially really don't here. get, it's like, no, you know, it's top down your here, opinion yes. makes it. You tell me what you want; it's going to make a difference. You got to open it. Let me know. Let yeah. me know. This is yeah. too easy. This is too hard. You got too much work. Too little. Just let me yeah. know. And they don't get that it actually has a direct. Initially, anyway, they don't have an idea that this feedback that they're giving actually has an impact on what's going to happen in class. And it's like, no, yeah. you guys told me you wanted this, so that's what we're doing. What's why the long face? <laughs> so if, if there's any way to be able to um, influence the institution, the administration, <laughs> uh, good luck. Yeah, right. Exactly. So in the class, maybe leaving a little bit of time before the oh, teaching gosh. or leaving time after the teaching, again, listening while you're teaching, um, paying attention. Sometimes I just do the 10 minute writing so that they're not inhibited by me reading the writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I, I want them to, to write as much as they can be fluent. Don't worry about the grammar. That's that particular lesson. And I will tell them, I'm, I want you to write this, this time to teach me. I want, I'm going to read this, this time. I'm not going to grade it. I'm not going to check the grammar, but I want you to talk to me. And again, getting them to feel comfortable over the course of the class. But again, 15 classes in a semester, that's another problem. But some of the things that so often we don't do are so easy. So if you have a class, uh, sorry, a textbook, if you have a textbook and the topic is in the textbook is Rihanna. Uh, do you like Rihanna? Do you as the teacher know Rihanna? Maybe have that be whatever they're reading, if that's whatever is in the textbook, but then open it up to what is your favorite musician. Don't keep it on Rihanna. Whatever you can do those ways <laughs> to get them to talk about their own lives. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then making sure... Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> I'm giving you time to... <laughs> Uh, for this, for the feedback, um, making sure another thing that I know that I fail at all the time, I, I teach too much. There's too much in my classes. I don't give enough time to make sure the students are included in the decision making. Make sure that they have time for their own self-reflection. I hate to use that word here necessarily, but again, yes, teaching them 
that they need to be a player in their own education. Um, you're, 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 negotiating. That, that's, the a, that's a really really strong point that you just made about like not shoveling too much in and, and not enough time, and that's um, yeah. that's something that we all struggle with because we're stuck with these classes f- mm-hmm. once a week. And you get ninety yep. minutes a week, and then the ninety minutes is too long, and once a week is too little. Um, yep. And it really is a major impediment to <laughs> doing your job. Um, yep. You know, being able to do exactly what we're talking about, like assessing what the students' needs are, what their abilities are, um, what their desires are, what their preferences are. Um, not that that, that should necessarily yeah. preferences, right? Not necessarily they need to drive the the lessons, but. Mm. If you're not if you're not taking that into consideration in your lesson planning, yeah, you're you're not a good teacher. And you you got to take yeah. that all into consideration. You and you tailor it and you make it, and that's how you make it work. That's how you make interesting classes. Um, we're just handicapped. We just can't, as yes. you said. We just we just can't do it. And our classes are too big. So often we have too yeah. many students. We can't meet all of their needs. We just can't. Um, and our students, again, especially in Japan, they don't know how to express their needs. Even if, even if they had the English ability to communicate to us, or we had the Japanese ability to communicate to them, they don't know what their linguistic needs are. Exactly. They don't think they don't so, no way, to, no way to begin to comprehend it, let alone yeah. express it. Absolutely. Yeah, they don't have the experience of business to know what business English they need. Wow, I'm, supposed to tell, but, I'm supposed to tell the teacher what I want or yeah. what I need to. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, I want video. Yeah, yeah. that's why. That's <laughs> what I would say. We we do these uh, semesterly, or now at my school we do twice a semester uh, class evaluations. But so often, what are mm. the questions on those? Those. They're not talking about the teacher. They're not getting at the nitty gritty. It's a Likert scale. Students don't write many comments. It's a popularity contest. And so the accuracy of what they are trying to say, again, in this environment, ah, that is also something that we can't say, oh, yeah, I got an eight on my uh, self-evaluation. They must really like me. Not necessarily. <laughs> um, that's another problem. Uh, they're, what they think might be the real needs, going back to what you were saying, they, they can't express them, but then they don't know what the real needs or their perceived needs. They might think they know what business English means or whatever uh, ESP that you're teaching, anything else, but they're wrong. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> the learners aren't the experts either. Okay, so to to kind of you know getting a little bit long, but um, to to kind of tie all this together, say okay, so I under, I'm a teacher in Japan. You, you you convinced me needs assessment is important. Mm-hmm. How do I do that, Allison? Okay, that, that is really the crux. It really, it really is, right? Really, really, really. Like, is we all the crux. want to do it. This, this, this sounds great. It's like, yes. I, I, something yes. I need to do. It's like, well, how do I, 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 I? What do I do? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and if I could articulate it better, I would be richer. But anyway, mm. <laughs> basically, the crux is I think we have to create awareness in our students. But we also have to understand as teachers, we can never, we can never understand all the needs of all of our learners. And again, balancing that, just give it a shot, give it a try. And don't be afraid to give up control. Yeah. It's really hard for a beginner, isn't it? It's, it's really when you're, when you're early on, early, early, yeah, yeah, I guess so all the way through. Is, I don't think it's just beginners. I've got learn. my lesson plan and I have 10 minutes to do this. Really and I have five minutes to do, do that. And I've got to, it's very, very hard to give yes. up control. It's really give up control. <laughs> Cut part of the lesson. Let them fly. So and prepare them for the real world. Their real world. Let them somehow develop curiosity. You need to give up your control as a teacher so that and so you put that on them. They have to find out what they need. They have to find out um, what they're curious in. Encourage self-thought, encourage decision-making, peer grading, etc. But whatever you are doing, you want to create a happy, motivated, successful, autonomous learner. 
And you can do that by personalizing the lessons, creating self-interest, build that motivation, build curiosity. And that's a two-way street. That's feedback. Whether or not it's a an official formal diagnostic needs analysis, I would actually say maybe not. Talk to the students. Be involved with the students. And yeah, have some consideration for them. The end. You'd finished. <laughs> you said we're running <laughs> well, long. We're running long, but I was, I was waiting for another 20 minutes of like how to do all this stuff. That's you and Charles. I saved the good stuff for yeah, you and Charles. Yeah, thanks a lot. The good stuff, the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, I just, you know, what, 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 well, I've just got you here. It's a couple of interesting things that you, you said. And, um, and these these are these are kind of micro and they're not really much in the theory thing but um i think they're 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 practical and they're worth mentioning um in terms of like uh going back way back and i already talked already a bit about motivation and demotivation mm. but um in terms of increasing that you know not not squelching that at the very beginning and it's something that i think Maybe a lot of teachers. I know certainly I have. I've I've made this mistake over and over and over. Um, I'm failing to recognize student achievement or what is what the student perceives as student his own his her own achievement. Um, a lot of times they they will produce something whether it's oral, written, whatever you know, test score. Mm. Um, and for them, this is like. Wow, look at me. For us, it's like, well, it's a C, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like middle of the road. And it's like, but, you know, you really have to be sensitive to that, like to not to yes. undersell the, 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 that, that when they've got that spark of achievement, look for it and exploit it and recognize it and, and praise yeah. it, right? Because it's yeah. something that you miss so often. Yes. And if you're too controlled in the class, you're not going to see that. If you're not open to your students at all times, right, right, because because and then, that's perfect because it leads right into my next point, where and this comes mostly from the institutional end, but sometimes from an instructional <laughs> yeah. end, um, where quantification is the goal. Yeah. So I, I'm in a, in one of my programs, I'm and maybe maybe two uh, of the programs that I'm involved in or in employed by in involved in, subject to um where yes everything the, the the classroom the syllabus the testing it's all geared toward quantification and it doesn't yeah. you know the t- students needs what do you mean um no no here's like no the, the, we have got these these uh, these suffer can do goals and we've got mm-hmm. um this you know we've got this you know academic this and and you you have to learn academic language and you've got this is critical thinking it's like critical thinking these guys aren't ready for they can't they can't do a paragraph where are you going with critical thinking they can't do critical thinking in their native language they're first year students because so much of this culture is top down yeah, and they're yeah. told what to think. And just to quickly go back, <clears throat> Sefer being the common European framework, which I'm <clears throat> not a fan of for Japan. Right. The can-do right. list, that, that's, that can increase extrinsically motivation by getting the students to understand what they couldn't do before, what they can do now, but to use Sefer – or even again, the, the, CEFJ or JR, there are all of these variations. Is it suitable for Japan? Or, or, or more specifically, not, not Japan, more specifically to those kids in my class. <laughs> those go, kids yeah. in my class, it's got zero relevance. Zero. None of these kids, none of these kids are headed there. But Sefford does have things like, you know, giving directions and asking for opinions and being able to write for one minute. You know, there there are things that are applicable. It's just, yes, too often, is it necessary? Is it, a, is it worthy at this level? Um, are the students ready for right. it? Right, right. So the TOEIC, the TOEIC is what you're talking about. Okay. So often... The students feel, and again, it's extrinsic, 
they are told TOEIC is everything. Well, they are, and they love their number. When they get a good number, they're so they're so damn happy. Yep, mm. yep. And breaking them of that is for you and Charles to discuss next. Yeah, time. And, and, and and the question is, well, you don't really need to. I don't think that's something you need to break them. If they're happy about their score, you don't want to break yes. that. If they're unhappy about sure. their score, you can point out, well, it does. It's not necessarily a reflection of X, Y, and Z. It's testing something specific. And if you want a better score next time, then this is what you need to do. Mm. But, but TOEIC is not English. No, it's not. But it, it can be a motivator <laughs> for students to learn yeah. English, right? Yeah. So again, that balance of, ah, would, do they need it? What do they need it for? And yeah, here they yeah, do yeah. need it for their job. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's all that part of it. And so like I'm, yeah, I'm the first on the, on the bus when it comes to like, you know, battling the institution with this top down mandates for what I have to do in my classroom. Because yeah, there's nothing that gets me more teed off than than and, walking and into that a, is a, a problem. Teachers Administrations, yeah. anybody, administrators. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the people I'm sitting in meetings across from. You need to encourage flexibility in your own, uh, not just your own classes, but with the teachers that you administer when you're writing those curriculums. You need to communicate to your whole community, to your whole group, your whole department, whatever that is, that it's okay to be flexible in the classroom. That's a big step, a big thing that's missing. You know, here. talking about letting go, you know, we're talking about the teachers letting yeah. go of, a, you know, and, and giving the students autonomy and letting them steer a little bit. Yeah. Some of my great successes have been when I've like turned, you know, just like you yep. spin the thing and you turn off the pipe yep. and let the kids fill the reservoir. And it's like, and suddenly yep. things are happening. And um, a lot of times, not always, not always, not always, but with institutions doing the same thing with their teachers, allowing the teachers a little more flexibility. Yes. Yeah. No. And, assuming and you, assuming you hired the right the teachers. But yeah. That can be. Well, that aside, <laughs> it can also be trained into sure, the teachers sure, and can be sure, built in the curriculum. Sure. Yeah. Again, instead Granted. of saying, Rihanna, we're going to talk about Rihanna or we're going to talk about transportation. We're No, we're going to talk about your favorite music. We're going to talk about how you get to school instead of transportation. Who cares? <laughs> anyway, that's... Mm-hmm. Biting my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> That's not why you're here. You're not here to bite your tongue. You're here to embarrass yourself. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh. Oh, I've embarrassed myself enough. Thank you. <laughs> just make sure. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah. Cap up end, anything important sure... you want to say, and just like you know, what what, yeah. what do you need to remember. So just ask, ask the students. Be open to the students. Well, I, I would amend that. Say, ask. Over and over and over and over again because they're yes. not going to tell you the first time until they really no. figure out that you really want an answer <laughs> to that question. Because if yes. any questions, no. Any questions, yeah. no. It, maybe 15, 16 times, someone will sheepishly raise a hand. So when you're asking questions, yeah. ask over and over and over and over again and, and yeah. in a lot of different ways. And of course, we can't teach students individually. Of course not. But we can create opportunities for individual thought for individual discovery, and for their own self-awareness development. Yeah, part of, part of that letting go that you talked about. Yes, yes. And recognize, ah, recognize that our students are people. They're people. They're individuals. They have different interests, different learning styles, different abilities. Um, yeah, just ask. Try and get to know them and respect. Okay. <laughs> I, I could go on. Could you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I know you're tired. All right. Well. Well. Anyway, thank you. Great nuggets there, and uh, and, oh, and next session, you. like thank Charles and I much. will go through this and like you know, pick things apart and underscore things and question other things and and uh, try yes, please do. and try to maybe pull out some Solve of the theoretical it. ideas and like uh, mm. nail them into um, you know practical smaller micro behaviors that teachers can do. Exactly. Oh, yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want me back, well, I want so product. I know that you I want and Charles you know, can do well, it. Yeah, people can you know, to download the next one. They have a list. <laughs> I don't know if we can deliver on all that, but we we, we will try. You, but thank you very much because that was um, – Thank you. That thank uh, you. The theoretical knowledge is something that uh, really is um, very, very helpful. 
and to get it all condensed and put on a on a, on a plate for the rest of us is is really really nice and uh, yeah very, very condensed. Efficient. Sorry, hope it wasn't. No, that's not what we want. That's exactly what we want. We want the Cliff Notes version of this because we don't want to do any research on our own. <laughs> We're busy. We're teachers. <laughs> on that <laughs> on note. that note. Thank you and goodbye. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, this is uh, Tony and Allison this week with. Uh, Two Teachers Talking, twoteachers.com, twoteachers.anywhere. And uh, tune in again. Um, send us some comments, suggestions, complaints, whatever it might be. Let us know. And uh, hope you listen soon. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> <laughs>